This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, guys. It's Trevor Tolliver here, and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Hello Chelsea supporters, welcome to episode 150 of the Blue Day podcast. I am your host Keith Lawrence and it gives me absolute great pleasure to welcome you, my guest for this episode. She worked for Chelsea TV for a number of years and is one of the early pioneers who broke the glass ceiling for women in football and covering the men's game. She is a renowned presenter and reporter and we'll talk about this definitely today an avid Chelsea supporter, I should add. Here is Alison Bender. Alison, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. How are you? Oh, I'm great, thanks. It's always nice to come on Chelsea podcasts. Um, The weird thing about my job as a Premier League reporter is that I cover all teams. And I have been talking way too much about Arsenal lately. So (laughs) I think I need to redress that balance. So I'm really happy to be on. (laughs) Well, it's been nice to talk to them recently because they now conceding goals and not winning. So it is kind of nice. We've got to take a little bit of comfort from this season. But if I can, Alison, we'll start the interview if we can. Take us back to the early days of your childhood and the early times of you supporting Chelsea. Do you remember your earliest memory of going to Stamford Bridge or even supporting Chelsea? Yeah, I do. I mean, it all came out of the fact, I'm sure with so many people, that it was my dad that was a massive Chelsea fan. And he actually grew up literally about three minutes walk from Stamford Bridge. Um, And he told me actually back in the day, that area was a bit of a, it was quite a rough area. There was a lot of gangs and he said it, it, you know, it wasn't posh like it is now. And um, he took me to games. I think he was a bit disappointed having two girls that weren't particularly into football. I think he always did really want a lad. And um, basically, we were more interested in like dancing and gymnastics and stuff. But he was like, you are coming with me. And I remember going to Chelsea against Tottenham, actually. In fact, I was just literally going through my programmes, trying to find the programme, because I got my very first programme. This was kind of the same era. This is uh, with Zola on the front here. Um, but yeah, this was a League Cup game, Tottenham against Chelsea. And I think I really embarrassed him because after the game, he he was able to take me to the players' bar. I think he knew a few people there. And I went up to all the Spurs players because it was Gaza and it was Lineker. And these are the names that I knew. And I was asking for their autograph. And my dad was a bit like, uh, Alison... You're supposed to be a Chelsea supporter here. So I remember I also went up to Dave Besant and I got an autograph off him and Graham Lasso as well. And it's really weird, actually, because obviously having now had a career in football and working with these guys, like meeting Graham Lasso for the first time was just so random because I just thought it's just so weird, isn't it? When you've met someone as a kid and they seem so much older than you. And then suddenly I'm weirdly on a level, like I'm on the same kind of level, like it seems like I'm the same age, even though I'm not like interviewing him and stuff. Um, but it was great memories. I mean, I, I loved it actually. It was, um, even though football like wasn't my thing back then, when my dad just kind of kept taking me and kept taking my sister, kind of trying to get it to kind of, mm. I suppose, get inside us. Because the really sad thing in, is, to be honest with you, Keith, is that, you know, Back in those days, girls weren't allowed to play football in school, certainly not in my school. So I just didn't have a natural love for it. And I always found that the lads just, they could remember everything. So they'd be like, oh, you went to the game. Oh, who scored? What, you know, what was the goal like? Describe the goal to me. And and I just didn't have the same kind of like lexicon as the boys did. Um, But obviously it's completely different now. I do this, you know, through and through. This is all I do. But it's weird to think that I started off quite a girly girl, not really into football at all. 
when you got used to going to games with your dad, who were your sort of standout Chelsea players at that time that you enjoyed? Again, again, it all came down. It was it was all from my dad, to be honest. It was like who he liked. So I always, you know, it was like Di Matteo and Zola and, and the, the players that kind of he liked. And then I guess when I got my real love for the game was when I started working at the club and that felt suddenly like my Chelsea, right? So I've got these two kind of weird eras. I've got the kind of growing up era where I was almost like being not forced, but it wasn't my choice, right? And then there was me working at the club and suddenly I was like, right, this is what it's all about. Like I've got the bug now. And I was really, really lucky that that era there were just so many brilliant football players who just loved each other. And it was such a great bond. And when you look across that team where I started working for Chelsea TV, where you've got John Terry and Lampard and Didier Drogba and Ashley Cole and Essien and Balak and Czech. And literally when you reel them all off, you realise they're all such warriors, they're such leaders and all like captains of their own country. Mm. Like what a time to be, and not clashing actually. They all got on so well. Like you'd have thought with that many egos, it just wouldn't work. But somehow it really did. And great personalities like Jeremy, Thiago, and players of that calibre that Chelsea were signing on a regular basis, but they were also good, good guys to the point where everyone was playing for each other. And again, we'll we'll talk about that period of Chelsea sort of quite soon. But you mentioned your time at Chelsea TV. The first time I saw you on TV, you was covering Blues News. It was around the 07 sort of season. Tell us a story how you got the job at Chelsea TV. Yeah, well, it was quite random, actually, because so I'd always worked in TV from as soon as I um, came out of university. And I started off on the other side of the camera. So I was a writer, a producer. Um, I did graphics. I rolled autocue. I did all the kind of hard stuff in the background that no one gets to see. And I really wanted to try my luck at the, on the other side of the camera. I wasn't sure if I could do it or not. And I worked so hard trying to get all these different um, bits of experience, I suppose. I tried everything. And one of the jobs, one of the roles I managed to land quite miraculously was a role at Real Madrid TV in Spain. Mm. So I went out to Spain and I, and I spent a couple of seasons like producing TV out there. And obviously part of the reason I got that job was because I'd done such a lot of producing. They were looking for a producer and presenter. But I always sort of dreamed that I would be able to come back to England and get a job in TV in England because it almost felt like a bit of a crazy dream. I was, you know, I was living in Spain. I was covering the Galacticos and that, I mean, that's a whole podcast on its own. It's amazing. But I'm sure most of your listeners will be more interested in the Chelsea side. So we'll get straight to that. Um, But basically, it was a really weird scenario because I've been doing Real Madrid for, for quite a long time. And I heard a rumour that there might be a job on Chelsea TV and Sky Sports back in England. And I got an email from some execs, basically, who'd seen me on Real Madrid TV and said, we really like what you do. Do you think you could come and do the same thing for Chelsea? And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, back in England, my dad's going to be so proud it's Chelsea. And I had to have this real, like, secret meeting. It was really, like, bizarre because it was almost like, it reminded me of how players might do something because it was like the January, it was in January, like transfer window. And I flew from Madrid to Barcelona And at the time, Chelsea were playing Barcelona and I had like a a meeting in the airport. I literally met them at Barcelona airport and then flew back to Madrid afterwards um, and basically had this preliminary chat about basically coming over to Chelsea. And then eventually I flew to England and had a screen test there um, because I had to put the job out to, you know, a lot of other people. And then amazingly, I landed the job. And it was it was really bittersweet, to be honest with you, because I was I was at Real Madrid at a time where we were doing so well and we were just about to win the league. And I was like, oh, I've got this job, but why does it have to be now? I want to stay at Real Madrid a bit longer. And um, their basically exec said, look, Alison, it's now or never. We need to fill this position now. So I took the job. And I remember it was the weirdest thing, my very first kind of like, game I suppose big game was the the Carling Cup final um, which since has become known the Snarling Cup final the one at the Millennium uh, right. Chelsea against Arsenal which we won and I remember just thinking wow this is insane I've come from Madrid who are just about to win everything and I've come here into this like incredible winning mentality 
but it felt more real somehow. There was something about Madrid that felt very kind of classy and swish, but there was something about, I remember sitting in Stamford Bridge thinking it was like the smell of deep heat and the smell of grass and the rain. And it was a bit like, oh, okay, this is real football again kind of thing. And even though I had the best time ever at Real Madrid, it was brilliant. It just felt a bit more like, ah, I've arrived kind of thing. You you understand, right? Mm. If you love if you love football and you you know what it's like, it's not all about glitz and glamour. It's just about the real kind of feeling of being at the bridge and watching some amazing football. Do you remember what your dad said to you when you said to him that you was coming back to work for Chelsea Football Club? Do you know, that should have been quite a moment, shouldn't it? I should really have a clear um, memory of it. And I don't really. It was all such a whirlwind. I think my life back then was just so crazy because it was like, you know, one minute I was like telling my parents I was packing my bags and going off to Spain. And they were like, what, eh? And the next minute I was coming back to work on Sky Sports News in Chelsea. Um, I mean, he must have been delighted, I guess. But I, I genuinely don't remember the conversation. And then before I knew it, I was just working my socks off. I mean, I was back in, I was, you know, back in England and just like working like 24-7. And we always seemed to be just doing something amazing. It was like you'd be down at the training ground or then you'd be at Stamford Bridge doing Blues News. Or there was, I had all these shows I did. I did um, Bridge Kids with Stamford the Lion. I did the thing called Points of Blue. I don't know if you remember that. It was hilarious kind of like. Vague, vaguely remember um, it was like a take on points of view basically it was mm. fun and I guess you know people don't really realize how much work goes into tv because you just see the you see the 30 minute blues news obviously but you, we'd have had to go you know you go down to the training ground in the morning you watch training you do your report you then come back to Stamford Bridge you write your script the script is rewritten um, and so it's a really really long day basically even though it only you know it's only like 30 minutes of tv and was you able in that time to take interviews with the players? And if you did, which interviews, when you look back on it now, that you enjoyed the most? Yeah, so, I mean, it was amazing. I was basically thrown into it straight from the start. And I remember, I always loved interviewing Petr Cech. I don't know what it is about goalkeepers, and maybe other people have told you this before, but goalkeepers are just like a different breed of footballer. Mm. And I just feel that they are it's really unfair to say a bit more interesting because that, you know, they're all, everybody's got their own story in, but I always found maybe it's the fact that the goalkeeper doesn't always, wasn't always a center of attention. Maybe the goalkeeper is the one that's like willing to kind of take one for the team. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but Petr Cech particularly and almost every other goalkeeper I've met in my entire career have just been fascinating. And I used to love how a lot of the players would kind of just not ignore me, but they just kind of get on with it. But Czech was always one of those nice guys who'd come over every day. Hey, Alison, how are you doing? And he'd always have a story to tell. And it was like, you know, sometimes it was about what he cooked last night for dinner. Or it would be like, I think he was like quite musical. I think he played drums or, hmm. you know, there was all these different things that he did. He was into chess. And I just found him fascinating because every time he came over, you just didn't know what he was going to talk to you about. Right. Whereas the other players, it would always be a bit more, you know, um, about football pretty much. But yeah, I mean, John McElhoby was really fun and lovely. Um, and actually, I, I kept a really nice relationship with him over the years. And even years later, he invited me to the Nigeria camp to like interview some of the Nigeria players ahead of the World Cup. And they all had that really amazing, like loud football shirt, um, and, which did really well, didn't it? And I've, I've always tried to kind of like keep in touch with those lads because we all have that really special bond that we were there at the same time. Mm. Even John Terry, I saw him the other day and it was like, we both have this like understanding and, you know, it, I'd never put myself on the same level as John Terry because he's an absolute legend. Right. And I'm just, you know, just a presenter in the, in the football club, but yet we both sort of shared this really special moment. And we talk about that often and, you know, little things that people didn't get to see like behind the scenes um, we can just reminisce about. And I find that the older I get and the more the players like retire and kind of come out of the game, we can actually kind of speak more on a level, uh, you know, rather than me just constantly bugging them for interviews. Because at the time where you was part of Chelsea TV, the club was obviously going from a whole new level from what they were previously. They were in Champions League finals. They were in FA Cup finals. You know, when you was able to travel 
to European games, what memories have you got of sort of going to different places and going, you know, I'm traveling with the Chelsea side here. I mean, it doesn't get any better, does it? Honestly, I could talk to you for hours about it. And it was just, I just felt so lucky. It was like, I was getting, I was boarding off in a private jet with some of the, the most sought after players in the world. Yeah. And you could tell just how important it was because obviously wherever you went, there were just, you know, airports lined with fans just cheering. And it just felt like such a massive privilege. We'd get to go, you know, also the two things that you love as well, like travel, like to be able to travel and to be paid for that. And, you know, I always remember going to like Seville or Valencia or Barcelona with these players and just discovering these, or Leon, just like discovering all these gorgeous places. And the way that it works with a Champions League trip is you'd, you'd usually fly in the day before, so you'd have a day, basically. So you're like walking around lovely little market squares and then connecting with all the Chelsea fans. Part of my job is to like go and interview the fans. And I'd meet some incredible people, like diehard fans who'd like travelled, um, you know, their entire life to follow Chelsea. And so it's just really great meeting those people. And I was really lucky because we had a lovely, lovely team at, at uh, Chelsea TV. And you know Spy, Neil Barnett. Mm-hmm. And he really looked after me and took me under his wing. And he was really well connected with lots of fan groups. And we would always go out for dinner. It was a thing like, you know, you go out as a group, you have a lovely meal. And we always tried to keep it quite authentic. So, like, you know, we'd never go for a Mackey D's or anything. <laughs> we'd go and have a massive paella or whatever. Um, and just, like, drink whatever the local drink was. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, it was just... I just feel like I was the luckiest girl. I, I have so many memories. I've got some funny ones as well, but um, I remember going to Schalke and for a Champions League trip. And it was my job, obviously, to interview the players afterwards. Hmm. And for some weird reason, I had this really funny turn during the game. And I remember turning to my colleague and just going, I think I'm going to be sick. I don't know what's the matter with me, but I'm not feeling right. And the next minute I know, I'd passed out. I woke up. And I was in like the bowels of Schalke Stadium and with the medical team, basically. And they were all like, you fainted. Um, you know, we're going to bring you around. And I was like, but I've got to interview the players. And I don't know what's happened. And I was like, someone tell me what's going on in the game. And they were like, you think you can do it? And I was like, well, I don't, I, I don't really know. Um, and so in the end, one of my colleagues had to do it while I just kind of came round. And I think in that game, you all know better than I do. I should have looked this up. But I think Petr Cech, something happened to him in that game when he was really poorly himself. And I remember getting boarding back on the plane with the players because the other weird thing about European games is you get straight on the plane and you're knackered. Mm. It's midnight. And you you arrive like, you know, two o'clock in the morning back in London somewhere. Mm. And I remember that Cech had... um, bless him, even though he wasn't well himself, the club doctor who should have been looking after Czech was busy fussing over me, making sure that I was all right. And he was just so lovely about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many insane memories. I've just been so lucky. It's, just, it's been a dream job. In your time at Chelsea TV, there was a lot of moments that shocked the world of football, whether it was Mourinho going or whether it was players signing new deals or a defeat here and there. What was the one moment where, when you worked at Chelsea TV and then news broke of a certain incident and you're like, oh, wow. And then that just throws you. Do you remember sort of any particular moment? I've just got goosebumps literally all over my body. And I'll just never forget the, the moment the Mourinho was sacked the first time round. And it shocked everyone because it was just... He was the special one. He was our special one. And he'd done so much for the football club. And I just think I, I was in absolute shock and I had to break the news on Chelsea TV. And I remember so clearly they were like, Alison, you've got to go out the front of the club and you've got to you know, deliver this report. And I was almost like shaking because I was like, how can this be? And I've got to know Mourinho really quite well. And I, I really liked him so much. He was so charming. And I was really lucky. I was part of a pre-season trip to LA, spent a lot of time chatting to him. He's a really different guy. I mean, he's the same guy, but like he's really such easy company away from the cameras. And I just felt really sad. And I, it's a bit cheesy, but I remember I was 
I had to do the news and I had to basically say that he left the club and I just felt really sad about it. And I was wearing a locket at the time. This is going to sound like some kind of weird, jilted lover. But I I had a like a programme in front of me and I cut out Mourinho's face and I put it in the locket just before I read Blue's news. And I was like, he's always going to be part of this football club no matter what. And it was really weird because I like forgot all about it. And years later, when he came back to the football club, I was like, oh, my goodness. I wonder if I still got a picture of Mourinho in my locket. Like, how mental is that? Um, And yeah, I mean, it just sounds so weird, but he was just such an important part for so many people of what made our club so great. I mean, of course, if you're a Chelsea fan, you supported this club through thick and thin, pre-Mourinho. I mean, my dad, you know, never used to see Chelsea win. Um, But to sort of what he brought that kind of elite mentality to this club I'll never forget and that was that was a really shocking day um I I just didn't think anything would ever shock me as much again and I guess Abramovich getting sanctioned was huge as well even though everyone had a kind of a feeling about what was going on with Abramovich but that when it was actually you know when we really thought that the club was going to be taken away from us and it might just be over. It was that was just a horrible, horrible time to be a Chelsea fan. I remember that well. Funny enough, you're talking about the Roman Abramovich. I was travelling up to Norwich because it was at the time Chelsea was playing Norwich in the Premier League last season. I was travelling up and I was listening to Radio Five Live and Talk Sport, and all they kept talking about, "Oh, is this the end of Chelsea? Is this the end of Chelsea? What's going to happen?" I'm like. We've got a game tonight. Can we just concentrate on that for now and then worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? It, Yeah, as you said, it was just sort of like, hmm, is this going to be my last away game for the club ever? I hope not, but thankfully. But again, we'll probably talk about current events, probably, probably wish it was. But in terms of Chelsea TV, you left <laughs> some years afterwards anyway. Um do you miss Chelsea TV? Because obviously that was scrapped some sort of some years later and it was more about the online content and trying to get a yeah. newer audience. Me personally, I miss it completely. I, I, there were some even snippets whereby, as you say, Blues News, but you was able to cover a lot of the reserve football, a lot of the academy football. Obviously now, where it was different back then, you could the the ladies team as well. You could have been, you know, looking at that more often with the TV channel, you could have had their games on that. Do you miss it? I miss it so much. You know what? I just loved being a complete Chelsea nerd and knowing every single thing about that football club. I loved working on the reserves. I loved it. I mean, I remember working under Brendan Rogers on like a rainy night in the middle of nowhere with no one watching the reserves and no one really seemed to care. But I remember thinking... I, I, I'm so privileged to kind of watch these young lads. And then years later, now, you know, when we see Lampard start to bring them through, it's just like you knew those guys from the... And, and I just think that is lovely. And I know that there are lots of people who just adore football and would love to see that, that behind the scenes that, that we get to see that we, that we were able to do because we were just there all the time. And I remember, you know, I'd come up with ideas and my boss was always so willing to take them. So I was like, I want to do a documentary on the history of the Chelsea shirt. And he was like, go for it, just go research it. And I spent weeks and weeks researching the Chelsea football shirt. And I loved it. I just wanted to know everything. And I went back into, we had this big video library and I'd pull out the tapes and I'd like look at history times gone by. We had like Chelsea Rewind. So it was nice to see like all the old goals and I just, I really, I do miss it. And funny you say that, I um, weirdly had the opportunity to work for Chelsea TV recently, which is now obviously the fifth stand-up. And it was a bit of a weird, surreal night, really, because it was the it was the second leg of Chelsea against Real Madrid. And I was back in the same offices where I used to work. And yet, obviously, a much more mature person. I've got a couple of kids now. And I spent my life there. I mean, I spent my life in the butcher's hook. I, you know, Chelsea Football Club was my life. I lived on the King's Road. I walked to work every day. I worked for Chelsea TV. And I went out with the lads at night. Um, and we just had the time of our lives. And it, I did feel really sad because everything had kind of changed. I still saw, you know, Pat Nevin was there and Ben Andrews was there. And it was mm. nice to see a few of the 
people that I used to work with but it did feel sad because I was like I know there are fans out there who would still really appreciate that content that you know that diehard content I still think it's great what they're doing now with the app and obviously it's all about far reach now you know we've got fans all over the world we have to support them um but I just yeah I think a club channel there's something very pure about it and at the time I was always warned, actually. People were always like, oh, you should leave Chelsea. People sort of looked down on you a bit. It's like, oh, oh, you work for Chelsea TV? Oh, that's very nice. Um, you know, and it was almost a bit like, oh, go and spread your wings and go and cover other clubs because you'll become known as that Chelsea girl. And I was a bit like, well, actually, nowadays it doesn't matter because I think people want to know that you have an affiliation. And at the time, I was kind of encouraged to keep it a bit hush. With social media now, like you can't, I mean, everyone knows I support Chelsea. So why should I keep it a secret? It's ludicrous. You know, everyone knows Gary Lineker is a massive Leicester fan. What, you know, why would you? Um, so, yeah, um, I do miss it. I really miss it. And, and I'm so happy and grateful when I get a chance to work for the club in any capacity. I go back every now and again and I do the Bridge Kids Christmas party. And I do think, by the way, just one other thing that I think about a lot that makes me laugh is that because I've been doing this for so many years, when I used to do the bridge kids stuff, I used to be like chatting to some like six year old kid. And every now and again, some massive like six foot lad comes up to me at Stamford Bridge. And he's like, you interviewed me when I was about five. And that is surreal. That is really weird. Um, but yeah, I love it. Please, I could be part of that, um, you know, experience for them. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Before we discuss other matters, sort of more a current event. I did this with Neil Barnett when he was on the show a couple of years ago, and I wanted to obviously do it with, with yourself. It's the word association game. So I'll say a few names and you just say the first name, first thing that comes in your mind with, with, with that. Would that be okay? Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm scared. First, first one, <laughs> Todd Bowley. American. <laughs> <laughs> That was safe answer, wasn't it? That was too safe, yeah. Too safe. Um, I need yeah, more than it's, that. It's, it's, I can't, I can't keep one. it like that. I mean, I have to say, just I know you just wanted a word, but I do, I do think <laughs> the I think that Bowley has has realised that he's misjudged the situation a bit. And I don't, I don't blame him. I think there are a lot of Americans that really know football and really know business. But to know the Premier League and to know Chelsea is a very different matter. And I'm not trying to be arrogant there at all. I just believe it to be true. Yeah. And so I think he's learned the hard way. But I do think that he is humble enough to probably hold his hands up and try and sort this mess out. <laughs> but yeah, for now, I'll just say Fingers American. Crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. Reese James. Oh, powerhouse. I mean, what a shame about his injury. I mean, devastated for him. But it does actually show that he's obviously been carrying a bit for a while now and he's been really unlucky. Um, but uh, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful player when he's at his best. Ben Andrews. Ledge. I the voice of football, the voice of Chelsea. Gigi Salmon. Oh, Gigi's just a lovely, one word, one word, one word. <laughs> Ever present. I mean, I know it's two words, but she's just, she's always been there, hasn't she? Frank Lampard. Super Frank, super. Lee Parker. Oh, what a lad, what a nice lad. Um, he's just very dear to me, dear. Loud. Yes. Loud. Whenever he does his, whenever he does his announcing, I'm always in. I'm always at Stamford Bridge trying to do my, um, you know, my team news and stuff. And I'm like, Lee, can you just keep it down? <laughs> <laughs> Jose Mourinho. Mourinho, charming, charmer. Last but certainly not least, Neil Barnett. Dad. He's like my dad. I mean, he's just, he looked after me so well. And I just, well, what can I say about Neil? I mean, he loves that club. And I don't think he's always been treated with maybe the respect that he deserves, actually, um, for what he's done for that club. But true fans, 
no spy. Spy, oh, yes. I guess, should be the word I use. <laughs> Perfect end to that. Thank you for the words association. I appreciate that. I want to sort of switch gears now and talk about yourself in terms of the media and the current situation between football and how the football and media have pretty much evolved to this huge entity. When you were starting off and even when you was at Chelsea TV, did you find any issues in terms of trying to make a name for yourself and to try and establish your name and was did you have any trepidation or anybody or people for that matter that felt that because you was female that you, you know there's no place for you here basically oh yeah definitely um it was really really hard in the beginning and I think as well I, I you know I'm quite a girl as I said before I'm sort of quite a girly girl and I'm not like um, I don't look like a sort of a a diehard Chelsea fan as well. I was I was coming at I was coming into it from a very different angle. I was quite a polished presenter, and it, it sounds really silly and weird, but I remember thinking that I was almost too well spoken to work in football. Um, nowadays, it's all about being yourself and being just who you are, right? But I remember thinking at the time, if I'm working for Chelsea, I maybe need to change my voice a bit to fit in because I'm chatting to the lads and, and you know the fans and everything, and I and I I just sort of felt a bit like I didn't fit in. Um, you know, almost like that Delia sort of that terrible sort of Delia moment. It was like you know when you're trying to sort of be yourself and you you have been alienated by everyone else. And, you know, it might not be right, but it's just now I think we're starting to realise football is for everyone and you can be who you are and still love football, right? Mm -hmm. But I was still trying so desperately to fit in. And I think I did try a bit too hard, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, there was lots of sexism. There was lots of me trying to prove that I knew about football. And I didn't know as much. I knew I didn't know as much as a lot of the lads and I would have to... Um, it's not always a lads and lasses thing. I know that. I, I get that. But for me, I did not have the football grounding, as I said, like that some people had. So I worked so hard. Like I read up on it. I was like always reading like football history books, refereeing books. Um, and I was just so scared that I would make any kind of slip up or mistake that kind of made me feel like an imposter. Um, just because I wasn't born in a Chelsea baby grow kind of thing. Um, it's hard. And I've earned my respect along the way. I still get it, to be honest. It's still tough. But I think now I can just say, you know, come off it. I've been doing this my entire life. <laughs> you've got enough sort of from experience that you've warranted that respect to the point. Yeah, that I get it. I mean, it. I really get it because I know there are a lot of guys out there who adore football and know everything about football. They know way more than I do, right? Um, and they somehow think they deserve that job more than I do. But I always say, you know, this job is not just being a football fan. Like if it was just about being a football fan, any football fan could do it. But there is a lot of training in other areas that, you know, and I spent, you know, a decade learning behind the scenes, for, um, you know, television and, you know, even the speaking to camera thing, like an autocue reading, it's, it is a skill in itself. So, you know, it's not just about being a football fan. I know a lot of people find it really hard to take because I know that it's a lot of people's passion and dream and you have to kind of start at the bottom and work your way up. And even when you've come to the very top, you're actually only doing an interview, which looks pretty simple. So I can I get that a lot of people think they deserve that, that place and they think, well, I could do it too, um, which they probably could. But you're also trained for all the other things that might happen in the scenario as well. So I think that's really, really important to know. And you brought sort of a controversial topic up as well in terms of females in the men's game, you know, covering Premier League, Champions League and other, other, other cup competitions. We've, on the, on the podcast, have had emails from viewers, both from a positive and a negative standpoint, talking about the influx of female presenters, journalists, you know, pundits as well, covering Premier League, covering EFL. Again, some have been positive, whereby it's quite refreshing to hear somebody that's not a dinosaur as such. And there's been others that are basically flat out, we don't want them as part of you know, our club. We, we don't want them watching my team or I don't want to hear what they've got to say about my, you know, my favourite player. Are you surprised there's still a stigma? Bearing, you know, we're in 2023. 
Are you surprised there's still a stigma surrounding this issue that people just can't fathom, you know, basically dealing with the fact that the, the media companies like Sky and TalkSport are going to have not just because it's a box ticking exercise, but they're getting the best people. Now, I'm not saying every female that has worked on Sky or TalkSport is great, but there's a reason for that. And you just sort of put it there. If, you know, if anybody can do it, then they would. But they, as you say, they're getting the best. For example, you know, TalkSport with Laura Woods, Natalie Sawyer. And then when you look at sort of Sky with Kelly Cates, is do you understand sort of like with, with with the stigma that I me personally I don't see it as a major issue, but do you still sort of see that stigma again? Obviously, with social media being quite bad when it comes to people's comments and things, do you still sort of get that in terms of people's perceptions about females covering men's football? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a really tricky one because. It's born out of the society that we've grown up in. I mean, I remember Jason Cundy getting into a lot of trouble uh, on TalkSport saying that he he couldn't quite tune into like a female um, voice of commentary. Now, I love Jason's a bit. And actually, I, I feel sorry for him getting hammered so much for that because actually he was just telling the truth. And even for me, we just weren't used to hearing female commentators and it is different. And now... It's interesting, but a lot of the female commentators that are very successful, they have many of them try, and I certainly did it, um, you try and sort of blend in by sounding more like a lad. And I remember a couple of people saying to me, um, oh, I quite like you talking about football, Alison, because you sound like one of the men, like you speak, you speak about football the way the men do. So like part of it is a compliment, but also it's kind of saying well, I'm only going to listen to you if you sound really male. Like, and, and I do, I agree. It's like, you know, when I watch football and, I, and you know, there's a missed opportunity, I'll squeal in a very girly way. And I know that I wouldn't do that on camera because it just would not be taken. People be like, oh, that sounds awful. Um, and so you're constantly trying to fit into this male world. And it takes a really strong female to go, you know what, I'm going to do it my way and I don't care. Um, and you are going to get a lot of criticism for it. Um, I think it's, I, I can understand because of the correction, there is a, a, an influx of women, right? And and I get that a lot of people are like, you know, why are there all these women? I feel that with anything in life, when you have a bit of a correction, suddenly you do see a lot of women, they have to be given the opportunity and only the good ones are going to stay around and they're going to be a few. And I've seen many, many, many girls over the years come and go. I've seen girls try it not be any good, and then move on. The other thing that I will say about women in sport is that sometimes you get a very different, um, I'm not always going to say a gentler touch because that's assuming that every woman is gentle and it's not the case, but I started interviewing players very differently. Um, There are so many great interviewers out there and they all do it their own way. Some people are really tactical, other people want to know about family history, whatever it might be. But I... I was a bit more, I I had a certain way that I wanted to interview players. And I was really lucky that I worked for a broadcaster that allowed me to do that, be a bit more empathetic, speak to the players on a level, talk to them about the sacrifices their parents made, stuff that maybe some guys may not have thought about. The reason I was thinking about it is because at the time I was a mother, I had a kid who was obsessed with football, still do. And I suddenly saw it from a different way. And I saw, you know, when my little boy gets abused for missing a shot, I think, oh, he's only trying. So suddenly I saw the footballers in a different light. I was like, gosh, these guys are just trying to do their best. And so I started interviewing in a very different way. So one of the things I'll say is by having a a diverse interview background, you're going to get diverse interviews. And if you're fed up of hearing the same old interviews, then, you know, great. If there are different people on the scene doing things differently. So I think it's always important to have a variety of presenters, interviewers. And, you know, yeah, there's always going to be sexism. There's always going to be people that don't like it. And I'm afraid they're just going to have to put up with it or switch off because women are here to stay. And the good ones are the ones that are going to continue. And if they're no good, then there won't be a place for them in the future because you do still have to be good. Because the thing I found, and this is when I've been speaking to 
either people that are looking to get into the media or fans in general, not just Chelsea, but just in general. Some of them have, and even they've messaged me privately about it, and they've said about, well, we've gone on social media and we've told them, you know, we've said to who, whoever that we, we don't like you as a presenter. We don't like her as, as a pundit and we get labelled sexist or we get labelled as a dinosaur. But no, that's just our preference. That's, if we don't like something, then that's our opinion. Do you think yeah. it's then fair to sort of label somebody? So, as I've said before, there's certain female pundits or female commentators I don't like. And to be honest, yeah, I do mute it or I watch something else. But do you? is it fair for them, for them individuals to be labelled a dinosaur or sexist just because they don't like one particular thing? Because no, I think personal preference is absolutely fine. And there's going to be people that like certain people and don't like other people. And, you know, that it may well be that it's a woman that you don't like, but it's not because she's a woman that you don't like her. You just might not like her turn of phrase. You might not like yeah. the way that, um, you know, the, the way that she talks about the game or whatever. Um, but I think we do have to be careful. It's like, are we not liking that person because they're a woman, is it because of any pre-existing prejudices that we have? Um, and maybe just kind of just just kind of be a bit more accepting that there are different ways of looking at football. Like we can't all be an echo, we can't listen in an echo chamber. What's the point? We need to have different views. And there are some people's views I really d- disagree with. There are lots of females who are incredibly feminist. I, I Sorry, that sounds wrong. I am feminist, obviously, in the fact that I like equality but there's there's been some commentary that I think has gone a bit too far and I don't like it from women there's also been similar commentary from men that I don't like um and so I just try and stand my ground in what I like and sometimes I think I have more male views on things um and I wonder if it's because I've been surrounded by men I've worked with men all my life um and I just see things in a different way I don't know but there sometimes there will be a debate and I'll I'll find a lot of women go to one side and I, I find myself joining in with the the way the men might see it. Um, I just would like to have a place where we can just all have opinions and it doesn't always have to be labelled sexism. For example, should women get paid the same as men footballers? Well, I personally don't think they should, actually. People might think, well, you're a girl, you should be standing up for the girls. Yeah. Well, I don't think I should be standing up for anyone. I think I should have an opinion, an informed opinion, and have the um, facts to back up my opinion. And whenever I answer that question, I always have so many um, facts that I'm able to kind of back up my opinion with um, that I think will actually benefit the women's game in, in the future rather than just they should be paid the same and that's that. So I think, you know, it's a really tricky topic because whatever you say, someone's going to raise up and say that you're sexist um, until they hear your entire argument. And that is why Twitter is so dangerous because you only get an opportunity to have half an argument. Yes. And just for clarity, even when Jamie Carragher's on the telly, I mute it straight away. (laughs) Well, exactly. It's not just a male female thing. No, absolutely not. Just finally on women in sport, just in, in, in general as well, not just to sort of discuss about the men's game, what do you predict will be the state of play for women in sport in general in the next five years? Bearing in mind, you know, England did very well in the Euros the other year. As you say, we've got a new influx of decent, talented individuals working in the media, on Sky, on TalkSport, and even the women's game in general is popularity is going up and up and up. I mean, the Chelsea website for the FA Cup final against Man United has said it sold out, which I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was stunned by because I'm thinking, oh, might be able to get a ticket maybe two days before. No, sold out. So what do you think sort of for, as a prediction for the women in sport, the evolution of it for the next five years? Yeah, I mean, five years actually is pretty short and it goes so fast. Um, but I do think that we're seeing such progress already. I did read something that was a bit sad the other day and it said that I think it was something like a third, I may not get this spot on, but a third of teenage girls can't name a single lioness. Yeah, I heard about it. Now that made me really sad because I actually think that they did leave a legacy, obviously, by winning the Euros. And I think that some of those girls became household names, right? 
And so yeah. it, I, I just feel like even if you don't like f- football, you can name Marcus Rashford, Saka, probably Grealish and Mason Mount, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a world on TikTok of teenage girls who love Mason Mount and have probably never seen him play football, right? Um, and so it'd be really nice if we got to the same levels where the women were household names. Now, the brands need to put their money where their mouth is. There are a lot of brands chatting at the moment about how important and empowering it is. And a lot of them are supporting the women's game, but there's a lot of them who are just doing the talking and they're not really supporting. And actually, like a lot of females are top consumers, right? We love to buy things. So as a brand, <laughs> you, you know, you have these, these awesome girls who are strong, who are talented, who, you know, have all these like great things about them that are perfect for marketing and, and you know, and are winners and, it, I just feel there's such a wasted opportunity. I, I, I do think in the next five years, we're going to see more of those brand deals. And, and so we should, you know, like the big companies are offering, you know, Raheem Sterling and, you know, Phil Foden, all these bumper contracts. Yeah. Give those to the women as well. I want to see them on the billboards. I want to walk around and see them and, and make them more visible. So I actually think people care about the characters when they're watching the game, you know, and the more that we know those characters, the more we know those female footballers, the more we're going to want to turn up and pay money. But already, as you say, you know, there's sellout crowds. There's, there's a lot more hunger for it. The quality has gone up because there's more investment, obviously Sky Sports showing WSL with BBC. So, you know, there's a, a lot of good has happened and I don't want to belittle what has happened, but we've just got to keep it going. Now, I want to switch gears again because we're sort of nearly approaching the end of the interview. One thing I've met, I've asked everybody who's come on the show, and again, it's divided opinion, is VAR. Your take on it, would you keep it? Would you get rid of it? Or would you adapt it? Yeah, I'd adapt it. So for me, I think that any technology that can help is good. I think the refereeing job is so difficult. Um, I've actually been to Stockley Park and I've been VAR trained in the VAR booth. It was one of the hardest days of my life. I got so many calls wrong. Um, so I always have sympathy with the VAR. Um, I think that we've not been trained properly as one of the biggest problems with VAR is that the pundits haven't been trained well from the start. Do you remember where as soon as it first started coming out, you know, they were they were coming out with these kind of cliche lines that were kind of incorrect. And then they, they sort of had this kind of like, um, you know, raising the bar situation. And then they had this clear and obvious business. They had That's all these right. different kinds of languages, but they were all contradicting each other. I think when you roll out new technology, I think they did it wrong. I think they should have had far more training. They did do a bit, but they needed to get every single person who's involved in the game, not just the referees. I'm talking about the pundits, the media, the commentators. So everyone is clear. So everyone knows what's going on. And then you don't have this ridiculous situation. I mean, I know that it worked pretty well in MLS, right? And it worked in Germany really nicely. So it can work but I don't think it worked well for us and I don't think it has for a while now. And there's been real inconsistency. And then, you know, to the point where you've even got managers calling it out in public. And as soon as a manager does that, there's no way. So I, but but at the same time, you know, I really like, you know, um, goal decision system. I think the watch, I think it's a great thing. You know, we could have done with that for Lampard's goal for England. (laughs) I think it's really important to have technology that helps in that way. Personally, the offside, I think it's got so ridiculous. I would almost, um, I've always talked about the kind of clear daylight situation. I would probably just take it from the foot, you know? And And I know that sounds ridiculous because I know that there are other parts of your body where you can score a goal legitimately. But because of angles and leaning, I would just say, let's just draw lines from the foot and keep it at that. And I just think that would make things a lot more clear, personally. That's just my idea. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, but that doesn't make sense because of X, Y, and Z. But I think that it takes a lot of the angles out of it when something is planted on the ground, when you can see something on the ground. Um, And, yeah, just more, maybe more, just more technology there so that it's less of a human decision. So, yeah, I would keep it, but I would tweak it, and I would have more training and education. Speaking of tweaking things, 
Your thoughts on current day Chelsea? It's a case of that definitely needs talking <laughs> from the ground up. Um, it's been one hell of a season. Um, God, blimey, where do we start? We could be here for all night. Um, your take? I mean, again, you, you've seen it from the media standpoint. You've, you've obviously been there as a journalist, but obviously you've been there as a Chelsea supporter as well. What's been your take on a, well, even a whirlwind 12 months, let alone season? Um, it, it, it's almost an embarrassment, but then what's going on at Spurs, thankfully, is worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it, it, you know, it, I felt desperately sorry for Potter. I really did. I, I, I didn't necessarily think he was the right appointment, but I was also really impressed with Bowley thinking that he's gone rather than for the superstar name, He's gone long-term project and he's gone, um, you know, this kind of up and coming. I I was impressed with that. I thought it showed football education actually rather than like, oh, let's just buy in loads of superstars kind of thing, which is obviously what happened on the playing side, um, spending loads of money. Uh, um, So much of it hasn't worked. Um, I think even bringing Lampard back wasn't necessarily the answer, but I do actually think at least it's given Chelsea fans or the majority of Chelsea fans or some Chelsea fans just something to be proud of or happy about towards the end of the season. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't like the influx, the buying. It was always going to be a problem when you've got too many players at one time and no one's getting a chance to play, too many egos. Like, we've seen that. We've seen that at Fulham and QPR and, you know, we've seen it so much and it just, it doesn't work. And we know that. So that was no surprise to me. Um, Let's go up to current day. So I was kind of hoping Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann, or, I mean, there were rumours of Luis Enrique, but these guys have now ruled themselves out by the sounds of it. I think the Enrique chats sort of only went preliminary and that was it. So it looks like um, Pochettino's the front runner now. Um, maybe by the time this pod goes out, Pochettino will be our manager. Now, listen, I just want to say this. I, I actually, I'm pleased you've given me this platform because I know a lot of Chelsea fans detest Pochettino. And I think a lot of that is to do with the five odd seasons that he was at Spurs, right? But listen, we've got to be more sensible. This is world football now. Um, Jose Mourinho can go to Spurs, right? This is a, a, a football world where anything can happen. I think you've got to judge the man, not on what club he's spent his time at, but what he can do for our club. I think that Pochettino ticks so many boxes. He has Premier League experience, which, to be honest, I know a lot of people spoke about Zidane. I've always worried about Zidane, as legend as he is. Mm. I'm sorry, I think you need Premier League experience. I think it's hugely important. Um, I know there are some managers that you do need to get your initial chance, but the mess that Chelsea is in right now, you need someone who can develop young talent. Pochettino has shown to be excellent at that. Apparently you can get a tune out of Madrid and and make him more of a a goal-scoring threat, which, you know, he looks like he could be really good, but he's not quite reached the heights. Um, Could he get Mason Mount to stay? Could he bring Harry Kane? I mean, seriously. I, I mean... I know that a lot of Chelsea fans would not like that scenario because he spurs, but we need the goal in the back of the net. Mm. And we, you know, and at the end of the day, we need something that gives our club an identity. And if Harry Kane was to come, that would feel very strange. And so therefore to, to balance that out, we need people at the club that give it its Chelsea DNA the Mason Mounts of this world, the Ruben Loftus-Cheeks, the Reese Jameses. I think you have to have both. If they suddenly start buying in and it, it just doesn't feel like your football club. I know that Didier Drogba was criticised saying my football club and all the rest of it. But I do think that when you're a Chelsea fan, you want to see a bit of that identity and a bit of that DNA. And I feel like Mauricio Pochettino is the kind of guy who cares about that stuff. He's quite, um, what's the word? I think he's quite a thinker and I think he um, he talks about energies and I think he really cares about the fans. I think he will care about the fans. Um, I mean, come on, like Spurs fans absolutely adored him when he was sacked. They were so, so sad to see him go. So, yeah, my take is actually I think that you could do a lot worse than, than Pochettino. I would like to see him 
um, and see what he could do for this football club to turn it around because he also can deal with egos. You know, it doesn't get much bigger than Kylian Mbappe and, and Messi and he's dealt with them and he's got to cut this squad, 30-odd players, down to a sensible number with no Champions League football and that's not going to be easy for any manager but I think it would be relatively easy for him because of the guy that he is. He's a nice guy as well. He's a, he's a very good guy. Especially on those players that are on high wages that some clubs probably won't go for unless it'll be like a two-year loan and 50-50 on the wages. He, Whoever it is has got a huge summer. I think the first thing that's got to be sorted out is Mason's contract, as you said. I think the second thing that's got to be sorted out is a striker, whoever it's going to be. If it is going to be Kane, it would be kind of funny to get him to Chelsea. But it, again, we brought in Torres and no one thought that when he was at Liverpool scoring goals yeah. every week that he would sign for Chelsea. So that did happen. But if it is Potch, good luck to him. I'm not uh, one to, to sort of say that, oh, because he was at Spurs, we shouldn't get him. I think he got a bit of a rough ride at PSG. I think he was ha- harshly treated there. And yeah. yeah, as you said, this is this is not a Chelsea from where where you worked, whereby the standards were up here to the point where it was winning was all that mattered. I think this is a new Chelsea and I think Poch fits that mould whereby we've brought in, as you said, a lot of young players. Mudrick's a diamond in the rough. Even people like Chalabar, I think, has lost a little bit of guidance, a little bit of direction. And even someone like Thiago Silva, I think, would probably work well with Pochettino as well. Agreed. I love I love Thiago Silva. And actually... I massively respect him for the comments that he made when he was in tears over the Champions League. Um, you know, his last Champions League, probably. Yes, yeah, so your honest, take on Thiago. Yeah, I, I really love the honesty from Thiago Silva. I mean, what a legend. I mean, the fact that he's still playing and still playing so well. And, you know, you saw him in tears after that uh, Real Madrid game in the Champions League because it's probably his last ever Champions League. And I think it's really important that he called out, you know, he said, you know, Managers are always getting criticised, but the players have to take some responsibility because clearly you can imagine that dressing room is a mess right now. Everyone pointing at one another. Whose fault is it? It must be horrific. I mean, poor, I actually feel sorry for Lampard. I, I would love to hear from him one day and I actually get on well with Lampard and I'd love to ask him one day what it must have been like these weeks because it must be awful. Can you imagine? Like, oh, I mean, someone like Lampard is used to this like elite mentality under Mourinho of like, you just don't ever draw, let alone lose at Sanford Bridge. And then suddenly he hasn't won a game. It's like, it must just yeah. be like messing with his mind. Because, you know, I remember Mourinho would go absolutely ballistic. John Terry would be almost in tears when I'd ask him for an interview if they hadn't won. Because he just couldn't bring himself. Like, they were such serial winners. Um, he must just be scratching his head like, what on earth has gone wrong here? Um, but yeah, Thiago Silva, love him. There's a lot of really good players, actually, that I think um, Pochettino will work really well with. He is a lovely guy. He's a very good man manager and he's great with the media. And I do think at this point, you need the media on side because Chelsea are a, can I say shit show? Yes, you can. Yes. <laughs> you can it's after nine o'clock, but... so you can say, you can say shit show. I mean, it's horrible to say it's my club, <laughs> but it's just, it is a mess. And everyone knows it's a mess. But we've been in a mess before and we've come back oh, and the same can happen again. We certainly have. Alison, one more question from me. And again, thank you for your time tonight. How do you look back on your time working for Chelsea and even covering Chelsea to this day? I feel incredibly privileged and proud that I was part of that football club and still continue to be. I'd love to do more for Chelsea Football Club, actually. And and I often do go and speak to them, all the different departments, whether it's social media or TV, to say, and marketing, to say that I'd like to be a part of the club. Um, I love it when people come up to me and say they remember me from my time at Chelsea TV because it's something I'm proud of. I'm proud to be a blue. I'll always be proud no matter what. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm proud for my dad as well. You know, my dad might not be around that much longer. He's not, he's an old guy now. And I just feel really, really happy and lucky that he brought me into this football club and, you know, taught me about Chelsea and now I'm working for the club. How lucky am I? So yeah, just a, an absolute privilege. 
Well, Alison Bender or J-Dog, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show tonight. <laughs> Honestly, it's been fantastic. And thank you for being part of episode 150 of the Blue Day podcast. And hopefully we'll see you down at the bridge. Definitely. 150 episodes. That's pretty good going. Well done, you. No, thank you. It's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So, yep. Hopefully we'll see Chelsea at least win a game between now and the end of the season. We shall see. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. <laughs>